Well, hi, everybody. Welcome. I'm going to add my welcome to Janet's. My name is Melissa C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I live in New York. And, um, you know, I, I, I think the topic that I'm going to share, I'm hoping that it's helpful. Um, and I think it's like a common dilemma that people have early on in recovery. They don't know how they're going to make it through the holidays. They're really nervous about the holidays coming. And so I thought, you know, I could share a little of my ideas um, and some wisdom that I think is in the big, big book that can help us through, you know, the idea is that we can go through all times, right? And that the holidays are just, it's, you know, they say Thanksgiving is just another Thursday, right? So um, it shouldn't necessarily be anything drastically different, you know, as, as living regular day by day, except to the rest of the world. It is, it looks quite different to not be, you know, indulging, overindulging and eating, you know, in a reckless manner throughout the holidays. And I think, you know, um, I'll just, you know, since there are like new people here, I want to just quickly, I'm not going to go through all my photos, but I just want to show just a little bit, because if you're new, you might be thinking, well, what does she know about being abstinent through the holidays? And, um, you know, this is what, this is what I looked like when, when, um, prior to being recovered, this was, you know, me, I, this was 20, almost 23 years ago. I lived in always, I was always dieting. Um, most of the time diets failed me. I was morbidly obese. I, um, and holidays were always the time, you know, I would, I would starve myself prior to the holiday. And then generally about Halloween, I would fall off the wagon. And it was just an eating orgy from Halloween straight through to New Year's. And sometimes after New Year's, I could put in a couple of good weeks and throw myself back into a diet. But oftentimes New Year's came and went and I did not have the needed power to do anything about it on New Year's Day that I did on Halloween. You know, a holiday was it was just another excuse for me to eat. It was just another excuse. And you know, this was, by the way, this is a, probably a holiday gathering, this particular picture. Um, I can see my face. I was not enjoying myself. I, I had a fake half smile on. I looked dead. I drank a lot at these events. I ate a lot at these events. Um, it's only the sense of nostalgia that the disease tells you that there's something warm and cozy and fun and social about it. But if you have what I have, I eat in ways that are antisocial and I don't feel connected to my family when I'm eating like that. I feel anything but, and this is, this is a more recent, this is a holiday, you know, at my sister's house, um, living in abstinence, you know, living in abstinence and recovering. And, you know, just to kind of quickly show you, this is, you know, I, I always like this one because I think it's really huge shows through the years, right. That, um, this was when my son was a baby. I was at my top weight. I was completely miserable. By the way, it was New Year's. <laughs> I could see my husband has one of those noisemaker blowers in his mouth. Um, we were at our friend's house for New Year's. I'm sure I ate and drank a lot. Um, and this is, you know, I guess about 10 years later, maybe 11 or so. Um, 
And this is like more recent picture. So, you know, this is, you know, through the years, this was this gray dress. I was at an event, like a holiday, you know, with tons of food around and I was abstinent there. My body just hadn't caught up yet, but I was living in abstinence, um, happily in abstinence. And, you know, another, another event, all of these are events. Most of the photos that you're going to see are events. Um, and most of the ones where I was, where I was not abstinent, I was living in misery. You know, the food was not, was, was not fun. It wasn't enjoyable. It wasn't a solace. Um, you know, today I, the food is the food. It's not my entertainment. Instead, I dance. I listen to live music. I go and have fun. I enjoy my life and my abstinence is my abstinence. And here's some, if anybody's going to the OA birthday party, big shout out. You'll see a lot of pictures. This is like another retreat, another thing, you know, um, with friends and fellows in recovery. Love these pictures. I put some new ones together from the last retreat I was on with some friends there. Um, we all ate abstinent. It was wonderful. Um, and so, okay, so now I really want to get to the topic. And for those of you that are new, I, I always like to share them is, I think, um, well, I've been blessed by a physical transformation, by a miracle that's visible. And I believe it's my obligation. If you've received a miracle, this, my, my body today is not from my own doing. That's God. That's God's grace and God's mercy. And I'm a recipient of a miracle. So I always want to tell people, I want to show people, not because I want to show off me, but I want to show off God. Look what God can do. Look what God does for us. Um, and my internal transformation is like 800 billion times more dramatic than the external. Um, I'm alive today. That I just feel alive. So let's talk about the holidays, right? Let's get into the topic of the holidays. Um, and you know, the topic is being abstinent through the holidays. So I think it's useful um, to define abstinence. What does it mean, you know, to be abstinent? And and it's, you know, it's in the literature of Overeaters Anonymous. It's also in the doctor's opinion. And it talks in the doctor's opinion on XXIV. It says, we believe, and so suggested a few years ago, that the action of alcohol in these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. And once having formed the habit and found they cannot break it, once having lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon things human, their problems pile up on them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. So what do I think is, is, you know, the definition of abstinence there is it talks about having an allergy of the body and everybody's got a different experience of what that means. Some people, you know, I very specific for me, I have very specific foods that do something to me that other foods don't. But I also have specific amounts that when I eat outside of those amounts, that does something to me too. For me, you know, another thing that's part of my allergy is eating in ways that are secretive, unaccountable. Um, 
making changes on my own without any discussion or any not bringing it into another another human's you know lens and that for me is is abstinence right and i can't do this at all right so it's you have to entirely abstain from whether it's your alcoholic foods or your alcoholic food behaviors and in overeaters anonymous the definition of abstinence is this the action of refraining from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors while working towards or maintaining a healthy body weight. So for some people that might include exercise. That might include, because if you're if you're utilizing exercise in a way to manage and control the amount of food that you get to eat, that you get to eat extra, extra, where you get to do something different from your body based on your physical activity, that might also have something to do with your abstinence. Um, and I have to refrain from doing anything, you know, whether it's Christmas, New Year's, Thanksgiving, um, there is no overeating, you know? And I think sometimes we hear, I've heard people say, well, I overate, but it was on my abstinent food. And Overeaters Anonymous is really clear. Compulsive eating is what our problem is. It's not just substances. For some of us, it's substances, but compulsive eating is eating in a way that is too much or too little for our normal healthy body, right? You know, and so here's here's my problem. It's um, it's not that I not lack knowledge. That's not my dilemma. Like I know what I can eat. I know the amounts I can eat. I know the foods that I can eat. I've known that for a really long time. Anybody who's been on a diet knows that, right? Um, but I lack power. I don't lack just information. I lack power. So I can know 100% what I'm unable to eat and still on my own, I lack the capacity to act in ways which are in agreement with that information, right? And I know that the only thing that keeps me abstinent is a relationship with God, right? Which for me came about through working the steps. So my relationship with God goes with me no matter if it's Christmas or New Year's or Thanksgiving, Halloween, right? That's that's my first and foremost. That's my that's my protection. That's my only protection, right? So on XXII, it says though we work at our solution on the spiritual as well as an altruistic plane, we favor hospitalization for the alcoholic who's very jittery or be so I want to discuss for a minute this hospitalization concept because I think it's important, you know, for this talk, it might be important to know where someone is in order to suggest how they can remain abstinent throughout the holidays. And, you know, so if you're in this period that the doctor's opinion talks about, this hospitalization period, now, it does not mean that you're in a treatment center or you're in a treatment facility. Sometimes there's confusion there. I myself was never 
hospitalized, right? I was not hospitalized for this, but I did create with my sponsor a, a sort of hospital type of mindset. You know, I would say I was in like my own food rehab. What did that look like? It meant my working on my recovery was the most important thing that I was doing at that time. I removed all outside distractions as much as possible. So if, you know, if you're in that hospitalization period and you're going to a family member's house for a holiday, you might need to bring your food, right? If you're in that early stage of recovery, you might, some people have determined that they might need to eat before they go or they bring exactly what they're going to eat. They do whatever is necessary so that they can remain abstinent so that as well as they work the steps, right? So that you can't take a break. For me, I couldn't take a break and say, well, it's Columbus Day weekend and I really don't want to do any step work this weekend because, you know, I'm going to be sleeping in late and hanging out, right? Not well, in the hospitalization period of my recovery, really kind of doesn't matter what's going on. My step work has to be first and foremost. And I think about it like this. It's like um, chemotherapy. And if I had been diagnosed with cancer, or something that was critical, which by the way, I believe that my disease is critical, it's fatal. And if I was diagnosed with something and I was embarking on a course of treatment, I wouldn't say, well, I think I'm gonna take off a little time for my treatment because it's a long holiday week and I'd really rather skip it. And I had to sort of look at my abstinence and my recovery with that exact same seriousness that it, that it required. Um, you know, so it's important to know where someone is in order to suggest how to remain abstinent through the holidays. And, you know, I think it's also important to kind of drill down on the fact that we need to be willing to go to any length for victory over this problem, right? XXVI, it says all these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. And this phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy, which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. It has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar, permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. So what I'd say is, you know, um. I'm a distinct entity. That's what it tells me, that I'm different from other people, including all the people that I'm going to be spending the holidays with, right? So I, I think it's very useful. I take a piece of paper and I fold it in half. And on one half of the page are all the people that are going to get to eat with impunity over the holidays. You know, on Thanksgiving, you cannot make a determination who's a compulsive overeater at the Thanksgiving table because I know some people who definitely don't have this disease. They eat until they're stuffed. 
And they all do the same thing. I see it every year. My family does this. They sit back, they go, oh my God, I ate so much. And they unbutton their pants and they say, I'm never, oh God, I, I'm, I'm not going to eat until, you know, I'm not going to eat until New Year's. Or they, they like say something like that, right? I ate so much. And they lay on the couch and they complain about how much they ate. And they don't keep going, right? But I'm a distinct entity. So when I've reached that point, I'm just getting started. You know, those people go home and I'm in the refrigerator eating the leftovers, doesn't matter how stuffed I eat. And that Friday, I'm still eating. And that Saturday, I'm still eating. And so I'm a distinct entity. I can't do what the other people at the Thanksgiving table do, because if I do what they do, I will trigger an allergic response. I'm pretty certain, you know, I'm pretty certain that if I pick up, I don't know that I'll be back. I, I, I definitely, I take my abstinence very seriously. I, I, there are some people who have had experiences where they can binge for two days. God bless them. I don't believe that's my story. I, anytime that I have binged, anytime that I picked up, you know, it's going to be 10 years that I've been abstinent, almost 10 years. Prior to that, anytime I picked up, it was, it was months, sometimes years before I was able to come back and do anything about it. I don't know that I'll ever be back if I pick up. So I treat, I treat my recovery, I treat my abstinence with all the respect that it deserves. And so what does that mean? I, I like, I have this little catchphrase that someone taught me. It's the four Ps, right? Plan. So you want to remain abstinent over the holidays? I'm going to tell you what I have to do for that, for my recovery. I plan, I prepare, I protect, and I pray. Those are my four Ps. Plan. I know what I'm going to be eating. I don't walk into holiday dinners and say, well, I'll wing it when I'm there. I don't wing it. I never wing it. Um, because for me, impulsive eating is a straight line to compulsive eating. When I eat in ways that are impulsively, I make a decision on the spot. I'm, I'm, I'm about to eat compulsively. So I don't make those decisions in the moment. You know, I have a plan and I commit it to my sponsor. I'm honest with others and the people who I'm spending the holidays with, I could request, I could make a request about what I need, but ultimately it's up to me to provide it. And so I make sure that people know what my food issue is. And if I had any doubt, if I'm not sure what's gonna be served and I don't know that it's safe for me, I'm bringing my own food. That's just the way I roll, right? And, you know, what I found is that if there's a part of me that says, oh gosh, I don't wanna be embarrassed in front of the host or, oh, I don't wanna, you know, I don't wanna offend them, it's rude. 
right? It's rude to ask and it's rude to offend them. I would say that I lack proportion. And we'll talk about that in a minute because that means I'm not, I'm not taking my disease seriously enough. Um, so I plan. The other thing is I prepare. You know, you might need to bring something with you, right? In the event that what you were going to eat isn't available or prepared in an abstinent way for you. You may have to pack your scale. If your abstinence requires that, that might be part of your preparation. You know, when I go to somebody's house for a holiday dinner, um, I have some family members whose homes are kosher. And so it's a little bit different. I can't walk in with my own food and eat it in their house because I, I come from a house that's not kosher. But I know those houses, I know they know exactly what I have and there is food available for me. And I have brought raw vegetables in the bag from the supermarket and prepared it in their house in agreement with, with what their rules of their dietary rules are in their home. And that's been fine for me. Um, but you know, another, what I do is when I'm going to a friend's house for the holidays or at, or for any event, um, I bring a salad. I ask everybody, you know, I ask, can I bring the salad? And I don't bring just a little salad for me that I have to eat it in a corner and feel like some sort of like, you know, a, a misfit. I bring a salad that's gorgeous. That is a pleasure to serve to other people. It looks like a rainbow in a bowl. It's got everything in it. It's got all the things that I can eat. And the things that I think other people might like to include in theirs that I don't eat or that I have to weigh and measure, I keep it on the side in little bowls, little Tupperwares. And I show up like that at people's houses. And nobody ever says, they're like, everybody's so happy. In fact, I have a friend who says, that she doesn't even, she doesn't even know how to make a salad anymore. She goes, I don't even know how to make a salad. She goes, I'm always just, you know, or she says, nobody's salad tastes as good as yours, you know, which is sweet, but that's how I show up. And I bring with me a protein that I know that's safe to eat in a can. I bring a little can of, I bring a can of salmon. I know Janet brings her can of, her can of sardines. We've done things like that together. And, and so my, our food is safe, you know? Um, I protect it. You know, when people offer me something that I don't eat, here's what I don't say. I don't say, oh, I'm trying to be good. Because trying, when I say I'm trying to be good, I'm not really protecting my abstinence. What I'm saying is convince me to be bad. That's what they hear. I'm trying to be good does not sound like I've made a decision that this is what I'm eating. And by the way, that good kind of thing, this is not a morality issue. Nobody would say if they were diabetic, well, I'm bringing my insulin because I'm trying to be good. That would be ludicrous. It's, it's, I'm taking care of myself because this is my need. You know, so I protect it, but I don't spend too much time explaining and debating, right? The people I know, know that I have when I have, I never hide it. I'm not shy about it because I think it's part of how I can be helpful. But I don't spend too much time explaining and debating. When I feel like it starts going into that debate area, 
I, I change the subject just like that. Or, or I say, when they bring me something I don't eat, I say, oh, no, thank you. Like, there's nothing more that somebody can say when you say, no, thank you. Like, what are they going to say? Yes, you must. You know, I, a no thank you is probably all that's required. And if they are making me uncomfortable and asking too many questions or putting some kind of pressure on me, I do my trick in the bag. I ask them about their grandchildren. I ask them about their new job. I ask them about that. Oh my gosh, how's that handsome boy of yours doing? Like, how's your golf game? Anything, get them to talk about what interests most people the most, which is themselves, right? Bring up something about themselves. And the other thing I do is I pray, right? Prayer. If you're uncomfortable with events, if you're going someplace before, pray and meditate on who you can help. Before you go, first I ask God, God, please, you know, please help me, right? Please give me the strength to live in agreement with your will for me. I believe God's will for me is to live in abstinence. And I believe that God will give me the strength, right? And then I ask God to show me who I can help, right? That this is a program about others. If I'm worried about what they're going to be serving me, it's best that I show up. How can I serve thee? It's always going to be my prayer. You know, in More About Alcoholism, it says on page 30 that no person likes to think he's bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. Right? Don't let your holidays become a countless vain attempt to try to prove that you can do what other people can do, right? The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. And the persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. Well, why would I share that with you now? Because I must know that I am bodily and mentally different from my family and from other people I might be sharing the holidays with. I have to know that. And the thought that I'm possibly missing out on something I once enjoyed, it's delusional thinking because it's not all that enjoyable actually. You know, the extra bite that leads to the binge guarantees for me that I always emerge remorseful. Any time that I had eaten on a holiday or overeaten, I had never, ever woken up the day after and said, ah, oh, that was excellent. That hit the spot. That was satisfying. I got it out of my system and now I'm ready to do business. I never woke up that way. Instead, I woke up crushed and defeated, right? So the problem with us is that we have no mental defense, not a strong enough memory and throwing information and data at it doesn't seem to do much to help. We have a spiritual malady and it shows up for me as a form of insanity and it can be only treated with abstinence and a spiritual awakening. I have to have that. 
So, you know, in the story about Jim putting whiskey in his milk, he had a lot of knowledge, it says, about himself as an alcoholic. Yet all reasons for drinking, right, for not drinking, were easily pushed inside in favor of the foolish idea that he could take whiskey if only he mixed it with milk. So for me, if only, right, the, the strange idea that I could eat this safely in my brother's house. It's Christmas. I could eat it safely. I'm in my brother's house. It'll be fine. That's the insane idea, right? Or it's it's at so-and-so's table, so I don't really have to worry about it. You know, and and whatever the precise definition of the word may be, we call this plain insanity. For how can such a lack of proportion of the ability to think straight be called anything else? So I'm told here about this lack of proportion, and I started saying it before. And what I would say for me, the ways that I would lack proportion is I make things that are not important, really important. And the things that are the most important, things that are gonna save my life, eh, not that important, right? That means I lack proportion. So if I'm more concerned about offending a host than about the possibility that I can't eat what they're serving and I might need to advocate for myself, I lack proportion. Right. If I'm uncomfortable asking, how do you make that? Would you would you be willing to share with me what's in it? If I'm afraid of doing that because I don't want to stand out. Right. I'm saying that that person's opinion of me. Is more important than my life. That lacks proportion. And when I would say, you know, a really for me, like a powerful example of people who don't lack proportion are the parents of my students whose kids have peanut allergies. They don't care who they're offending. Why? Because they know it's life or death and they're not playing around with it. They don't worry about offending the teacher. They don't worry about, you know, making things difficult in the cafeteria. They advocate for their children because they know that their lives have value. Well, you know what? Your lives have value too, right? Our lives have value too. And so if you believe, if I believe that what I suffer from is something beyond my control, then I do everything within my power to protect this. On page 100 to 101 in working with others, it says, assuming we're spiritually fit, we can do all sorts of things that alcoholics are not supposed to do. People have said we must not go where liquor is served. We can't have it in our homes. We have to shun friends who have it. We have to avoid all those places, right? Hide it. We shouldn't think about it or be reminded about it at all. But our experience shows that that's not necessarily so. We meet these conditions every day. So, I would say to you, you know, my, how do I stay abstinent over the holidays? It's not necessarily never going to anybody's house where there's food, right? You know, and then further down on the page, it says, so our rule is not to avoid a place where there's drinking if we have legitimate reason for being there, right? So what are the reasons that we can go? Well, here the fourth paragraph is gonna say, you'll know we've made an important qualification. 
Therefore, ask yourself on each occasion, have I any good social, business, or personal reasons for going to this place? Or am I expecting to steal a little vicarious pleasure from the atmosphere of such places? You know, and I would tell you, here's the difference, right? I, for myself, I don't engage in like uh, a cookie swap events. That's just not really, that's not really for me. It's just not, there's just no purpose for me to be there. However, I do have good social, personal events for doing cookie making, baking type projects with my students. It's a different, it, one is quite different than the other for me. And each person has to decide. Now, if I was in a situation where I wasn't, where I was feeling unshaky, my kids would, my students would not be making cookies that year. We would do another project. They wouldn't even know. I would do another project that had nothing to do with food and they would enjoy it just as much. They would do a craft of different sort. So we ask ourselves on each occasion, do I have a good reason for being there? And, you know, it says here that, um, you know, if you can answer to your satisfaction, you need have no apprehension, go or stay away, whatever seems best, but be sure that you're on solid spiritual ground before you start and that your motive in going is thoroughly good. So it's important to understand why I'm going to an event. If it's to be with my family for a celebration or if it's a work Christmas party, and it's part of my job, or if it's a new, you know, some people have like new romantic relationships and they're going to meet the family, right? And they want to be able to go. Yeah, I go to all kinds of gatherings, but I'm not going, for me, I'm not going to suggest a food-centered activity just so I can watch others indulge. It's not really, that's vicarious pleasure, right? And I also need to know if I'm spiritually fit enough to go, if I am on solid spiritual ground. Do not think of what you will get out of the occasion. Think of what you can bring to it. And if you're shaky, you better work with another alcoholic instead. I love, I love how our solution, it's always the same. You know, the directions are so consistent. If you're having any problem at all, the remedy is always help others. Go help others. Think of others. So why sit with a long face in places where there's drinking, sighing about the good old days? If it's a happy occasion, try to increase the pleasure of those there. If a business occasion, go and attend to your business enthusiastically. Be enthusiastic. If you're with a person who wants to eat in a bar, by all means, go along. Let your friends know they're not to change their habits on your account. So I would say this, don't show up pouting. Do not sit at the table with a pout on. There's no point. It's not thoughtful for your guests or your hosts, and it's definitely not serving others. Nobody wants to be sitting at a table with a sourpuss, right? So you're supposed to increase the fun. Be fun, right? And besides, my goal is to carry the message. And my demeanor 
will always speak louder than my words. So if I go and I'm friendly and I'm warm and I'm and I'm and I'm upbeat and positive, and I don't sit and moan about what I can and cannot eat, I'm carrying the message. I am the message. At a proper time and place, explain to all your friends why alcohol disagrees with you. If you do this thoroughly, few people will ask you to drink. So I think it really is okay to tell others that you have a food addiction. You can tell other people because you never know if they may be suffering too or if they know someone. You know, and I can't carry the message if nobody knows that I have a message to carry. If I keep that to myself, nobody's going to know that I've got this message, you know, and, and I would say, I don't have to be embarrassed or ashamed because it's not a morality issue, right? I have a disease and I must be rid of feelings of shame. Besides, if I'm feeling shame, that means that I believe that I had the power to do something about it. And I don't, I didn't prior to getting recovered. Right. And if I'm feeling so ashamed, then I can't help anybody. You know, in the family afterward, it says, cling to the thought that in God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession you have, the key to life and happiness for others. With it, you can avert death or misery from them. So I love that. So I'm going to show up at an event with this mission that I can help avert death and misery from people there. I have a responsibility, I think, to be honest, especially since I might be able to save someone from death and misery. Now, if we look back at working with others on page 102, it says your job now is to be at the place where you can be of maximum helpfulness to others. So never hesitate to go where any where you can be helpful. You should not hesitate to visit the most sordid spot on earth on such an errand. Keep on the firing line with these motives and God will keep you unharmed. So, okay, what's what's the greatest tip I would say I have? Look for ways to be helpful. You know, it's okay if it pinches a little bit. That's good, right? And it says here that we're showing up on an errand. What is an errand and who's this errand for anyway, right? Well, an errand is something we do on someone else's behalf. You know, an errand, they say, is a short journey. I looked it up. It's a short journey undertaken in order to deliver something or collect something else, right? And I like to think that we're on an errand to deliver God's love, right? That's why we're showing up. And we're showing up there as a message, maybe of recovery or maybe just of God's love. You know, we show up, I'd say, on our search and rescue mission. I don't know who I'm supposed to be helping. It's my responsibility to go there, believing that somebody will present themselves in front of me. You know, in step three, we decided that we were agents, that we were going to work for God. So when I show up, I'm an agent. I'm doing God's work. Here's my real-time tips. I'm going to give six real-time tips. One. If you're new in recovery, you can make yourself a willingness list. You can write down all the things that you're willing to do when you're placed in a position where the food is all over the place, right? 
And on that willingness list, first and foremost is prayer. Put that at the top of your list because the only thing that can relieve me from this problem is a miraculous intervention of God, which is why I showed you my pictures in the beginning to show you that's a miracle, right? So the first thing on my willingness list is prayer. And then I list lots of other regular mundane things, anything that I can do that might just, that I'm willing to do, that might just help me temporarily, right? It's not enough power, but it's enough to kind of maybe just sort of keep me in the right direction. Number two, bring your backup food with you. You know, I talked about my salad and I bring my backup protein. Number three, remain close to your program. Make your calls. Do not skip your calls because it's a holiday. Pray. Meditate in the morning. Absolutely. Don't skip it. Reach out to newcomers and those struggling or newly abstinent. Four, look to be helpful. Show up at an event. Play with the little kids. Wash the dishes. Help an older relative. You know, find the most socially awkward person in the room and make it your mission to be their friend. You know, number five, during the meal, if your mind starts drifting to other people's plates of food, mentally say a prayer for each person at the table instead. Try to take your eyes off their plate. Try to put your eyes from their plate into their eyes and think about what you can pray for each one of them. And number six, bookend your holiday dinners with Paul's check-in texts. You know, I think it's really helpful. We're on this meeting right now. We really encourage you to use the phone, you know, our, our chat box. If you're willing to, put your name and number in the chat box right now. I'm certain, you know, if you don't know how to save the chat at the bottom, you hover over those three little dots, you click it, it saves it. If you're on a phone or you're not able to do it, I am certain someone else here will. Maybe reach out to them. They can email it to you. You know, put your name and time zone down. And that way, everyone here will have access to name and numbers of fellows who are willing to support one another. And with that, I'll pass.